Well, we were trying to, to, to subvert the expectation of the audience in this picture. We were totally comfortable with, how should I put it, not being subject to uh, certain demands of uh, the genre, demands of an audience, demands of studios. We just felt comfortable with what we were doing. Welcome to Behind the Irishman, where we give you an inside look at Netflix and Martin Scorsese's latest crime drama, The Irishman. I'm your host, Sebastian Maniscalco. On the last episode, we met Charlie Brandt, the guy who got Frank the Irishman Sheeran to confess his life story. Now that became Brandt's best-selling book, I Heard You Paint Houses. In this episode, we're gonna discover how the book got into Marty Scorsese's hands and onto the big screen. Charlie always had high hopes for the movie adaptation of his book. I was holding out for the big boys because I had in my heart that this material is perfect for De Niro and Scorsese. If I could only get it to them, how can I get it to them? It was a long and winding road that leads back to Scorsese and De Niro's roots. Well, I think, I think uh, part of it is, is the background of how we all knew each other that all sort of comes together. We all started around the same time, though, you know. Who started? In, in 1969, 70, whatever. Yeah. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, and Martin Scorsese are all New Yorkers. We knew each other when we were kids. We knew each other when we were 16 years old, actually. You grew up in the same neighborhood. Crew. Well, I hung yeah. out in his neighborhood, and I knew that we had a, a, a one guy who used to go between our group and... Yeah, were you and on Ken May or Ken, on Ken May? Ken May. Uh, I was on Prince and, and Prince Elizabeth and, and yeah. Spring Street. Ken May was like another another country in a way, another, yeah, country, another little village in a way, and with different groups. Long before they faced off in heat, Pacino had his eye on Robert De Niro. I remember seeing you on 14th Street. I remember yeah. when you were with Jill. I was with Jill, yeah, and we were was, passing, like yeah. I said hello to you. And I, I said, that kid's got, that kid's yeah. got charisma. You the Bronx too, Joe, like, like me. I lived in the Bronx. I was I was born in Newark, but I, I had moved you to the Bronx. Bronx yeah. I was born in Manhattan, went to the Bronx. Oh. Al, how could you do that? <laughs> I didn't know. I was three at the you time. Were, you were taken. Okay, that's that's okay. You get yeah, Joe, it's a different thing. New Jersey I can understand. You go to the yeah. Bronx. Back in the day, Scorsese first heard about this great young actor, Al Pacino, through Godfather director Francis Ford Coppola. He was having dinner at my mother's and um, father's apartment on Elizabeth Street and said, I, I, you know, he was telling my mother, Katie, he said, you know, I'm uh, casting The Godfather and I want Marlon Brando and, and she, she thought that was great, but they don't want her and this sort of thing. I have to do a test. And I said, I have this guy to play Michael, who's this young guy. He's really great. He's, his name's Al Pacino. So since then, we've sort of crossing mm-hmm. pads for years. Even after knowing each other for so many years, this is the first movie Pacino and Scorsese have ever made together. De Niro, Scorsese, and Pesci are longtime collaborators. They first met Joe after Bob saw him in a low-budget gangster film. When we met, Joe was in 1979, or 78, Mm. I'd say, 77 maybe, because you saw Joe Uh, in... The Death Collector. The Death Collector, the director was Ralph DeVito. Ralph DeVito, yeah. Ralph DeVito yeah. wrote it and directed it. These were kind of yeah. New Jersey B-films. In Pesci's attitude and confidence, they saw a kindred spirit. The last person, in a sense, who knows where I came from and who, whom I knew and knows that world, and that led to the pictures we made, Mean Streets. Yeah. There were Italian films made 
with the Italian-American community back in the early 30s in New Jersey. It's funny if anybody would know that. <laughs> I happen to get involved at one point. Yeah, <laughs> these guys, you know, uh, it's amazing. My two or three films were made. We had them restored, actually, mm -hmm. for the Italian community. Wow. Yeah. So okay. regional filmmaking is really, you know, it's what, what independent films have become now. I, when I first saw Mean Streets, I didn't know much. Believe me. And I said, that's okay, you know, but oh, Jesus, it's stupid in a lot of ways. Then I saw it again, as I told you, you get older and you learn more. Well, that, I saw it years later and I watched the whole movie mm -hmm. and I said, wow, it's the, it's the feeling of the neighborhood and the characters mm -hmm. and the whole thing that he does so well. He's done in every one of his fucking movies. <laughs> Over the next three decades, De Niro and Scorsese made landmark movies together. Taxi Driver, New York, New York, Cape Fear, and my personal favorite, The King of Comedy. Now, Pesci was a part of the action on Raging Bull, Casino, and Goodfellas, in which he won an Oscar. Before you got together with this for, for, for The Irishman, had you done something? Casino? Casino was 22 years. 22 years. You too. <laughs> <laughs> They've been on the lookout for the next project ever since. Here's Bob De Niro's producing partner, Jane Rosenthal. We'd been looking for a project for Bob and Marty to do together since Casino. They just hadn't had that opportunity. There were other projects that they almost did together, but it was, you know, trying to find the right thing that they want to explore so deeply and not be repetitive in both of their work. At first, they thought about going autobiographical. We were thinking of doing something like, uh, what we're talking about doing a film about our careers and, and life and working in Hollywood, have people yeah. change and the Cannes Festival and all that. Right. But eventually, they found themselves back in a familiar territory. We had been developing a movie called The Winter of Frankie Machine based on Don Winslow's book. And since it was about a hitman, De Niro picked up this book, I Heard You Paint Houses. I believe Eric Roth gave it to Bob and I to read probably 2006. And he thought that just for research, Paint Houses would be a good source material. But when he reads it, De Niro starts to realize this is a great movie. So the next step, convince Marty. And, uh, and I said, well, Marty, you got to read this because it's like, you know, I think this is what we should be doing. This is more what we should, you'll see. The more he got into that story, he felt it was uh, something that was more special for Marty and he to work on together. I mean, Bob, just seeing the, the black and white photos of Frank Sheeran himself, because Bob was perfect. Uh, we just knew that he could inhabit that character. It's a classic story about loyalty, about mm -hmm. brotherhood and, and betrayal, but betrayal for a reason that people necessity. can understand. Yeah, you know? necessity, yeah. De Niro couldn't shake this Irishman story. Even though they had a green light on the other pitcher, he couldn't let it go. Here's Emma Tillinger, Scorsese's producer. Bob decided he really loved the role of Frank Sheeran, and we decided to hold off on Frankie Machine and develop I Heard You Paint Houses. How big do you gotta be in the industry to switch movies? 
It was actually on a call with Brad Gray, who was head of Paramount, and Brian Lord, and Rick Yorn, and Bob, and Marty, and Emma, and I, and Brad was going to greenlight the winter of Frankie Machine. And Bob started talking, well, you know, there's actually this other book that we're thinking about. And Brad said, oh, wait a minute, so you want to take a greenlight movie and turn it into a development deal. And you kind of heard this awkwardness on the phone <coughs> from everybody, from all the agents. And we said, well, well, no, we're gonna try to put it together. But Brad said, go ahead. That was sort of the moment in 2007 where Frankie Machine then took a back seat and we started to develop The Irishman. It was a pretty funny phone call. It's a pretty unique phone call. All the, the stars aligned and came together as they should. You know, finding the right material for them is challenging for obvious reasons, I think. And for them to have become so aligned and both so passionate about this project was the sign that we should continue on with it. They went public with their plans for The Irishman, even though that's not how De Niro usually rolls. And then I I asked you, Marty, when you were in London doing... um what was the movie? Hugo. Hugo. Yeah. Wow. I said, do you, do you mind if I, which I never want to do because it's always a bad, it's a jinx in my experience when you say you want to do something, yeah, you're I planning know. it, that yeah. it doesn't happen. But I said, in this case, maybe, Marty, if you're okay with this, maybe we'll, we'll just sort of let it be known that we're going right. to do this project. Yeah, exactly. So that and we could maybe get some pre-interest. Yeah, even then. and that also makes it real in a sense. It yeah. makes it, it gives us the impetus to keep pushing. They've always found the right material to come together and make it all work. Uh, going back to Raging Bull and Goodfellas and Casino after that. That's Irishman producer Erwin Winkler. He made Taxi Driver with Scorsese and De Niro. I think the passion that Bob had for it uh, over a long period of time spilled over in a very positive way to Marty. And Marty felt very strongly that the script could be different and could be the way to tell another kind of story. Scorsese had made so many seminal movies in this genre. I mean, Casino, Goodfellas. But in this guy Frank Sheeran's story, he saw something different. So he reached out to the author of I Heard You Paint Houses, Charlie Brandt. He wanted to know if the rights were available. De Niro wants to know if the rights are available. You'd have to be crazy not to also think of Scorsese in the same breath, you know. And so I was elated, and he was serious. He wanted to meet with me, and finally it got all put back together again by um, Netflix. <laughs> what was interesting is that the, it just seemed to fall into place as yeah. to who could play these parts. And then I was talking to these guys, uh, Joe and Al, and, and, and we talked about what about if we did it yeah. this thing you yeah. know yeah scorsese and de niro knew they wanted joe pesci in the mix only problem pesci wasn't interested erwin winkler knows how rare that is well uh, number one i think if my scorsese is directing a film usually uh very very seldom that the actors that he wants don't come and say we want to be in it raise their hand and say where do we show up Joe was already familiar with I Heard You Paint Houses. But I read like, the book a long time ago. You had read it? The guy brought it to me on the golf course. Uh, uh, that's interesting. Would you yeah. think it is a page turn in it? Yeah, no, it was a great book. Great it was a great book. book. And, he, and the guy even told me that. He said, you guys are going to make this movie someday. Mm-hmm. I said, wow. yeah, good, okay, bye. Then he got the call from Scorsese. And he said, we're going to do this movie. And, we, and I said, oh, yes. uh, 
it was uh-huh. it was well after uh, casino. Oh yeah, after yeah. Casino. And I it's said, about thirteen oh, years ago. He said, twelve years ago. I said, do we have to? Take cuts in our pay again no, to get. Oh, he that said, was the big yeah. He said, "No, no, no. We're all going to get paid. We're going to make the movie." Then that changed. That changed. Yeah, that, that changed a lot <laughs> because we couldn't raise we couldn't raise the financing. Yeah, you couldn't. No, no, no. They don't. You know, I don't know. We had to convince Joe to do it for a while. That took a few years actually. <laughs> and we started up at his. And then house. I had to convince yeah. you I'd come out of the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. It was just a general thing. And then Al said he was in. Yeah, I was yeah. in. It was a, and me, we went over to see Marty at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Oh, yes, yeah, That's yeah, right. yeah. We, we, we picked him up. We went over there. I think and Al looked at me and said, is this going to happen? <laughs> I said, yeah, 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 it's going to happen. <laughs> Three years later, yeah. you know. Yeah, this is going to happen? I yeah, mean, yeah. These guys took yeah. me out of the gutter, basically. Yeah. Brought me back, so... I can appreciate everything a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I see everything a lot different, too. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Bob and I were talking about that stuff. You know? yeah. Russell Buffalino is different from the hotheads that Joe Pesci usually plays. But Russell, uh, Russell is interesting because it was just the opposite way than we normally <laughs> see me play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you told me. Well, You're not going to be like the gangsters you always play. Uh-huh. <laughs> Al and I had some scenes together yeah. I, that I had read. I said, oh, God, no, I, don't. I hope he doesn't start blowing up at me the way I know Al can blow up, because then <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Am I going to blow up back? And, mm-hmm. and he said to me, you don't blow up at all in the scene. And he I said, great, as long as he doesn't blow up at me. The half is a different thing. He comes in hitting it hard yeah. right there, and yeah. he goes, bang, goes to the end, you know? Yeah. These guys, I said, what do I think? It's about behavior. It's it's how you sit, how you stand. Yeah, it's yeah. how you say hello to somebody. Yeah, how you yeah. you know how you uh, digress in a conversation, mm-hmm. so to speak. And it, it's really uh, in another era too. Yeah, in a different time, 1950s, yeah. 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, and uh, cutting back and forth in time. Marty and Al have wanted to work together for decades, but it didn't come together until now. Bob and Al always wanted to do something substantial together. And I had never worked with Al before. We tried over the years, but never quite got together on a project. One on Modigliani we wanted to do, but for different reasons, it just couldn't get made. And so um, for me to see Bob, and I usually see Bob and Al, I see them in, uh, in events, at dinners, uh, at somebody's apartment uh, talking, and I saw the relationship between the two. It was um, very, uh, it's as if we had worked together actually, over the years, Al and I, somehow. For Pacino, the feeling was mutual. I've worked with Bob a lot. I never worked with Marty. I, I, I must say, it, and I always wanted to, of course. So it was a great treat for me to work with Marty. It was a real uh, pleasure to be able to work together with the, and watch the two of them perform, particularly in the uh, scene at the appreciation night, where he finally, where Frank's character finally has to tell Jimmy uh, that uh, there's a serious problem and has to be addressed. And uh, some of that was improvised, but you could see, just look at that, you could see who they really are. Or the scene where Al Pacino, as Jimmy, uh, kind of begs Frank to be become president of one of the unions. You could see the tenderness, you could see also the love for each other as persons, as Al and Bob, as actors, as characters. This isn't a movie they could have made 20 years ago. It's about our world 
our America. That that's it. Yeah. It, almost 20 years. Yeah, that's happened. Happens to play out in the context of organized crime, and yeah. that's what, that's just the context. It's really right. a picture that ultimately, as we grew older, and we are, we're able to <laughs> look at this thing, at this world, this context, and these characters, with the the humanity of people who are together, close, loyal to each other, love each other, and then there has to be a betrayal. With all the major players finally in place, they brought in screenwriter Steve Zalian to adapt the book. He's the Academy Award-winning screenwriter of Schindler's List and Gangs of New York. The book is written in alternating chapters of Frank telling his story and Charles basically giving the, the event's historical context. You have a biography that he's basically telling the story from the time he was born until the time he died, and it's how do you put that into a dramatic structure. He had to find a way to turn Frank's entire life story into a three-hour movie. It's not just a matter of condensing it, but it's finding those parts in, in the life. Not only are they the most interesting, but they're gonna add up to something. Kind of the breakthrough for me was thinking about framing the story with this car drive. People have described it as a flashback within a flashback. I didn't think of it that way. I just felt that, first of all, I found it interesting, almost in its banality, but it would also allow me to, to keep coming back to something, a continuing story, which was this car trip. And then when I went back to this main story, I could go back anywhere I wanted. And I'm sure people don't have a clue where that's going. I mean, it's like, why are we watching this long drive on this and marking maps and taking cigarette breaks and all of these things? And then at a certain point, you know, the story catches up with it. Like a lot of people, he knew of Jimmy Hoffa, but didn't know this story. I've never read anywhere else that Hoffa couldn't stand for somebody to be late or hated watermelon. So again, I, I would say that my first knowledge of Hoffa in any kind of detail came from Frank Sharon and from Charlie, Charlie Brown, who wrote the book. De Niro organized a table read to attract investors. With all the cast, Joe Pesci, Bobby Cannavale, Bob himself, and they all were, we all read it as a script. And it was clearly a, a Steve Zalian script, which was quite good. And there were about 50 people there, and we read for them. And it, it was a very good idea because he, he, he made it almost theatrical. I was going like this at the end, and I said, what are you looking for? You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said, maybe I come back. No, you know? no, 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 he out. was going like this. I said, what are you Relax. doing? What are you doing? <laughs> You're dead. You can go. I can go. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> that was funny. I'll never forget that. That was a good, that was a good experience. It was kind of had a life to it. Yeah, so he took that off. was great. Yeah. Yeah. It had a life to it. Yeah. It really did. With financing in place, the production started to take shape. Pretty much if Martin Scorsese says, hey, I want you to be in my movie, there is no kind of needing for enticing. That's Anna Paquin. She plays Frank's daughter, Peggy. I mean, <laughs> it's a really fascinating story, and I uh, had read the book, I heard you paint houses, and you know, it's a genre I'm a fan of, I'm a huge fan of his. So yeah, he pretty much had me at, would you like to be in my movie? I mean, there was definitely a feeling of getting to be part of the kids at the big kid table with some of the guys that are the legends in my business, who are also obviously friends and, seem to be having a blast sort of reuniting for 
one last gangster movie. <laughs> it's a genre he is a master of, and you know, these are the men who have made those films come to life. And it's not a bad day at the office when you're like, yeah, so Al and I danced for like five hours today and then just chilled with Bob <laughs> and did some, you know, family photos. And <laughs> you're looking around on set and literally every single person is a somebody <laughs> in there, you know, in all of the departments. Despite the obvious power struggle and violence, this movie is really about growing older, reflecting, looking back, relationships. Well, we were trying to, to, to subvert the expectation of the audience in this picture. We were totally comfortable with, how should I put it, not being subject to uh, certain demands of uh, the genre, demands of an audience, the demands of studios. We just felt comfortable what we were doing. The story of the Irishman takes place across decades. We see Frank Sheeran in his 20s, in his 80s, and everywhere in between. Most directors would simply cast more actors, but not Marty. About half the script was the younger characters. Uh, although Hoffa, you were a little less in that way. You, 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 you didn't have to. You didn't have a big range to go. You still needed it, but it was not. Um, and you know, the whole idea was to make a picture together again. And like at a certain point, um, when I had to do this other film, and then something else happened, and I wanted to finish Silence, and uh, it got to the point where uh, uh, the scenes, the flashbacks, which almost comprised for Bob like half the picture, would have to have been played, and you too, would have to have been played by uh, younger actors. Younger actors yeah. So they said, what am I gonna be doing? I gotta teach, I gotta explain everything to them? Here you don't have to explain. This is what I love about Scorsese, sorry, Mr. Scorsese. He refused to cast younger actors to play Frank Sheeran and Jimmy Hoffa in flashbacks. So how was this guy gonna convince viewers that De Niro was in his 40s? I mean, especially since the audience had been watching him since the 70s. He found the answer on the set of his 2016 film, Silence. We're having Thanksgiving in Taiwan. It was a long table, and uh, I have worked a little bit with Marty, but it was one of the first times that we, you know, basically in front of each other. Pablo Hellman of Industrial Light and Magic was the visual effects supervisor on that picture. ILM is the effects shop George Lucas founded to make Star Wars. They pioneered the use of computer graphics in movie making. If you need to blow up the Death Star, liquefy a Terminator or unleash a T-Rex? You call these guys. He started saying, well, uh, I have a project, and he talked about the Irishman, and he talked about, at that time it was only the Nero, only one actor. He said, uh, why don't I send you the script? And that night he emailed me the script, and I, I read it just overnight, and in the morning we started shooting, and I went to him and I said, I'm in. Marty Scorsese's uh, vision was mainly the performance. It was a performance piece. Uh, it was really, really important that we got the performances right, that we capture whatever feeling and whatever kind of color in the selects Marty had found and translated that into a younger version of the, of the actors. First, Pablo needed a proof of concept. 
you know, why don't we do a test with De Niro? Maybe what we can do is shoot a scene that we all know that will ground us into the ages that we want for the movie, something like, let's pick a scene from Goodfellas, and let's redo it, even if it's two minutes, something like that, and let's bring him back to, you know, when he was 40-something. So he said, uh, that sounds great. But Pablo had to convince the entire team back at ILM that this was a worthwhile experiment. I got on the phone with ILM and I said, I got the project. (laughs) I got that thing. We all work creatively, but also we are very responsible financially. So the first thing was this, this is a very risky project. So I went immediately to Dennis Miran. Because Dennis is kind of like the, the creative heart. So I thought, well, if I can convince Dennis of this, then we can do it. So the first thing that Dennis said to me is, this is too risky, don't do it. And I said, well, is this is the way you felt when you did Jurassic Park. And he just went like, okay, fine, you got me there. <laughs> Digital de-aging had been used in movies before, just sparingly. It was the garnish, not the steak. I never lost the faith. I mean, I knew that we we could do this. Then, going back to the test, we came back to New York, and then I had a meeting with Erwin Winkler and uh, Jane Rosenthal and Emma Koskoff, in which I proposed a scene from uh, Goodfellas, which is the pink Cadillac. That's the scene after the big score where De Niro's Jimmy the Gent Burke berates Johnny Roast Beef for buying a new car. You know, what are you doing? You know, get rid of that pink owl. Like, you know, what the hell are you doing? You're going to get so pinch, you know, all this other stuff. And we reenact that scene uh, with uh, De Niro at the time was 74. So we would go to New York. De Niro would uh, reenact this, this scene. And we would make him, again, 41, the way it was in Goodfellas. But De Niro put one additional stipulation on Pablo. To me, you know, I ain't working. I'm, I'm working with markers. I'm not going to paint my face. Uh, I'm not going to wear a helmet with uh, little cameras in front of me. I just want to work on set with the real lighting, uh, working with uh, the other actors. We're going to ad lib a lot. We're going to play a lot. And I just don't want any interference. Then when you work it out, you give me a call. So not only did Pablo and his team have to convincingly recreate a 41-year-old De Niro, they had to create a whole new technical process to do it. It took about eight weeks for us to develop some kind of technology so that we could prove that the concept would work. And after eight weeks, we showed the uh, test to Marty and Bob De Niro. And they just looked at the test and said, you know, we're making this movie. The test worked. And on the screen, there was something in the very essence of the the film that just looked like this is something new. Now, they had to scale up the technology so it could support an entire film. Three and a half hours, five decades, 295 locations, wow! We'll get into the technological nitty-gritty on the next episode when we take you behind the scenes with the geniuses at Industrial Light and Magic. And we'll learn how every department from the production designers to the customers and the editors collaborated to fully render this story.
This podcast was produced by Netflix with Fanny Co. and Crossroad. I'm Sebastian Maniscalco, and thanks for listening.